Welcome to another week of Last Ones at the Bar. We have another hot weekend of boxing to discuss this week. My name is Wilton Henry, and I'm accompanied by the self-proclaimed VBN, Vail B. Noah, Lavelle Jackson, and a man that I like to call Fortune 500, and that's Daniel Lee. In this podcast world, we're known to be the underground kings. So on that note, fellas, tell me something good. You're hey, you undefeated with the intros, man. Shout out to you, brother. Thank you, sir. Yeah, what up, though? It's all good, man. Uh, you know, like I say, calling you the Fortune 500, man, you know. Do you want to go ahead and plug your product that just hit GQ Magazine, Danny? And also, congratulations on that excellent accomplishment there. Appreciate that, brother. Yeah, um, for you guys that didn't know, I have a hair pomade brand. Well, it's more than a hair pomade brand, but for right now, it's just a hair pomade brand. Um, that I came up with a few years ago. It's called the Monarch brand or Monarch for short. And yeah, GQ, British GQ will be running a, they're running a summer grooming campaign. And so it'll be in the print and digital magazine and also on their online website um, all summer long, pretty much. So uh, this is exciting. No, nah, man, that's, that's, that's a wonderful accomplishment. I mean, who, how many people can say that, you know, whatever it is that they've done made it to something like a GQ magazine. So again, that uh, shout out to you for that. Um, now, as far as, you know, like we still got our little intro that we like to do as far as touching on topics here and there. And so we still got that NBA action that's taking place. So the NBA is in the playoffs, you know, the playoffs is in full effect the second round. You know, my question for you this week, fellas, is, uh, you know, who are some of the players that's, in the league right now that you would say that are still in the playoffs that you think are like some of the better players that you've recognized, you know, so far. And if you would probably give like an MVP, who would that be right now? Right now I got to go with Giannis, man. He's been to me, you know, people that have stepped up and have looked good and they've had bad games or they've been out from injury, like during the playoffs and have had to recover. But Giannis has been the, the constant in the playoffs so far. He's averaging pretty much 30, 13 and seven, you know, in eight games so far or however many games. And so it's like, how do you stop that? And you really can't stop that. The only thing you can hope to do is to contain it. And these last few games, he's been doing it while Middleton has been out too. So um, even bigger and good on him. That's what I would go with. Yeah, I have to say uh, Giannis also after, especially after yesterday um, where he, you know, he's having a good series and, uh, and B was pretty much to me was the favorite, but obviously he's he you know he's out of the out right now and he's injured. And then you have you know Steph Curry is always Steph Curry and he's doing okay, but Giannis is you know he's the man. He's he's basically leading a team that a lot of people, even though they're defending champions, um, how many people actually picked them to win before the playoffs started? You know, and that's a, a pretty good question. So I would pick Giannis. Mm-hmm. Giannis, I think, uh, is a safe bet. You know what I mean? Like, you can't argue against him um, just based on, you know, what you fellas mentioned. You know, dude is is just like, a, um, he's just cold, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? He gets to that bucket so quickly. You know, he's strong. You know, he has an engine that's always revved up. He's always trying to bang it on you, you know, and he, he does what guys used to do in the past. He dominates, you know what I mean, each and every – every time you know it's not like a another guy 
that I can say, well, if Giannis goes up against him, then he might not be able to do. Nah, he's going to do that to everybody. And I like what he did last year in that championship game when he dropped 50 on the Suns. You know what I mean? Like, y'all too young, y'all too little. You know what I mean? And he, he dominated. So you can always, you know, go with someone like Giannis. I'm going to tell you, the player that really is jumping off the screen at me, because I don't really get a chance to see him that much. I saw them last year in the finals. Is Booker. Booker is so dang on smooth, man. That boy, like, when he get to cooking, it's just like, it's smooth, you know? He, he has one of them games where it's like he plays in a tuxedo. He got that. He doesn't play like Rod Strickland, Strickland, but he is cool like Rod Strickland. You know what I'm saying? Like, I always look for guys who do, who do it so effortlessly, and he's one of those guys, and I like watching him play. You know, Luca is Luca. you know, slow motion. He, he, he kill you with the slow-mo. He got somebody the other day where he did so many moves on him, he could have scored on him like four or five different times. He just kept <laughs> with the footwork, and then finally he went ahead and put it. They should have called three seconds on him, but he just had dude just on skates all of the way, so I like watching him. But, man, the NBA is in good hands, you know? The other thing you fellas want to discuss was um, there's a versus that's coming up on May 14th. You know, you got some old heads with the Cypress Hill. You know, they'll be going against Onyx. Um, do you guys have any thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah. When this one was first discussed, I was like, you know what? This, this would be a, a pretty good versus battle, especially live. You know, both groups are, are really good live performers, uh, and 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 both groups are can be considered underrated uh, in a few ways. You know, um, especially when I look at Onyx. Of course, they and I came on Onyx late. You know, because of course we know about the slam and, and throw your guns and the, you know their their hype delivery. But low key, you know, both Fredro, you know, and, and Sticky, those are very lyrical cats. Um, and, and, and Sonny C, man, he, you know, he he brings that energy also. But they're more lyrical than they get credit for. Like when you listen to records like Last Days, uh, and then you know Cypress Hill, you know, got the hype man Sin Dog, and you have Be Real with it, with his delivery. Um, they actually had some pretty decent songs when I when I listened to them. When I started going back to the catalog. They they have some uh some some, some bangers that were kind of overlooked because they kind of even though they were a big group and they sold a lot they kind of were on the outskirts of you know popularity as far as when gangster rap was was coming up so it, it'll be a good battle live I'm not sure who who's gonna win that um it, it depends on the delivery I think Onyx had probably may have a better uh live performance show but I think Cypress Hill have more things going on in their live show. And it, and it may have the better song, uh, but we'll see. Got anything on that, Danny? Or is that before your time? Yeah, that's before my time. I had some old jokes, but I'm gonna chill. I'm gonna let y'all talk about it. Hey, no. I'll take the old jokes, man. I'll take it. No, I think cybers will be straight because they're gonna be medicated up. So they'll be all right. That's real. Yeah, yeah, that's why I said they got some other stuff that make they, they show interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, these like coming up, I wasn't the biggest Cypress Hill, nor was I like the huge Onyx fan. I like I like Throw Your Guns in the Air. Um, Cypress Hill had a song or two that I liked, but I was more so into other guys. Like, you know, you also had the Woos that was out. You had like um, Dr. Dre when he came out with the Chronic, took the world by storm. So I was more so into those type of artists, but I did appreciate the energy of an Onyx, you know, um, and I like Cypress Hill, be real more so on other people's songs than I did, 
with their actual product. Uh, Sendog, he just used to have me laughing with his, uh, you know, being a hype man, you know. Be real! You know, he saying stuff, you know, whatever be real say, he just said again, but he said with that funny voice that he has. But, you know, with that being said, I, I think that Sendog might be top 10, you know, as far as when it comes to like hype men, you know. But Flavor Flav is definitely the undisputed uh, number one hype man of all time. Although, you know, when he's speaking of hype man, I know this is not the conversation. It's one dude that people don't give credit to that was like a great hype man, but it was only for one song. And that was, uh, you remember Designer had that one song. What was the Designer song that he had? You talk about uh, Buddy from like 2016 or so? 2016, yeah. Panda, Panda, Panda. Hey, you get a chance. Listen to his hype man on there with all of them gun sounds. Like he's going to do the whole song. <laughs> that was one of the greatest hype man performances of all time. But anyway, um, yeah, interesting discussion about that. I'm looking forward to that as well. And then, fellas, did you want to say anything as far as Mother's Day, since today is Mother's Day? Yeah, I'll just say, you know, happy Mother's Day to the mothers. For those who want to be mothers, you know, for those who or maybe going through it today, you know, my heart goes out to you, but uh, however you celebrate or however you cope with today, you know, um, I hope today is a good day for you, you know? Oh man, that's a perfect, you know, way to begin today's show. And so today what we're going to be discussing obviously is the Canelo Alvarez versus Dimitri Bivol fight that took place. Wasn't much of an undercard. We also are going to have five questions regarding those two combatants. We'll also take a look at the upcoming matchup between Gilberto Ramirez. He's going to be taking on a, a fighter named Dominic Basel. All right. So with that being said, Phil, let's go ahead and start with Canelo and Bivol. Uh, what did you think about that fight last night, Bill? Oh, man. Uh, Canelo, the one-liner is he bit off more he can chew with, with Bivol. Something surprised me. Something didn't surprise me. But it was a good showing by Bivol. He did a lot of things that I liked uh, in this fight. Uh, and at first, I, I did think that Canelo was going to win this fight, but I knew that Bivol would give him a little bit of trouble early. But what Bivol did was he 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 didn't lose confidence. He didn't – We were, one, one thing that a lot of people were concerned about was uh, were the lights too bright? Um, and he really stayed disciplined the entire fight where, you know, he had – it was points in the fight where I was like, he's winning this fight, but I don't know if he's going to sustain this the whole way through. And he was disciplined, disciplined enough to sustain it. Uh, he did a lot of things that I liked. Um, one thing, he, a few things he did, he, he kept pumping that jab. He kept using that jab over and over again. And then he'll change to a one, two, and then throw, sometimes he'll throw a, a shot to the body, you know, just to, uh, give Canelo something to think about. Um, but one thing I did respect a lot about him is that he'll get off, he get his combinations off, but he, he would get out the way. He would turn, you know, he would use a lot of lateral movement and move around Canelo, and, and, and he would stay off the ropes. Uh, and he forced Canelo to really kind of follow him, but he didn't stay, Bibbo didn't stay in one place. Uh, and also, one thing he did, when Canelo would have his moments and throw his combinations, and, and you know, because, you know, the first six rounds, when Canelo did hit, was able to land on Bibbo, uh, even when he was landing on the gloves, you can kind of feel that power of Canelo. But Bibbo, he, he stayed disciplined, and he, and he did after Canelo would finish a combination, sometimes Bivol would start a combination and then get out the way. And that, I think that was winning him a lot of rounds. Um, I thought the, the first half of the fight, you had some close rounds, but the only uh, clear rounds that I gave 
Canelo was, I think, round two and round four. Overall, I think I had to fight uh, 117, 111. Uh, I gave uh, Bivol seven rounds. I gave, I mean, I gave Bivol nine rounds. I gave Canelo three rounds. Um, but Bivol, he did a good job with the jab. He didn't get caught in the moment. He he didn't allow Canelo to land too many shots, too many hard shots. I did see some uppercuts that Canelo was landing early that was popping uh, Bivol head a little bit. But Bivol, he you know he he had the chance to stay in there. He did a great job consistently moving. He didn't try to be the bigger man, even though he was the bigger man. Uh, he sensed that Canelo was, you know, was strong. He even said after the fight that Canelo hit him on his arms kind of hurt. But it was a good performance. Canelo, he, you saw him get, get frustrated. He never really – it was almost like he, he, he sort of fought a fight like – it was almost like a better version of Oscar Valdez last week where Canelo didn't really jab a lot, you know, as much as I thought he could have. He didn't really jab his, his way inside. Uh, and Vivo just basically just used his reach and used his length and kept moving. Uh, now, Alvarez, uh, he falls to 57, uh, two and two with 39 knockouts. Vivo, uh, he improves to 20 and 0 with 11 knockouts. Um, but we'll see what happens in the future. But it was a good performance by Vivo. Yes, it was. And Vivo landed 152 of his total punches that he threw to Canelo's 84. And he also landed 106 power punches to Canelo's 74 power punches. He was more accurate. He threw more and he landed more. Bibble threw on an average uh, or an average of 59 punches per round and landed on average in each round 13 punches. And Canelo averaged 41 punches thrown and he landed on average seven punches. Bibble achieved double digit punches in every single round where Canelo only uh, had double digit lands in two rounds. And then Bilbo landed 36 more jabs and 32 two more power punches than Canelo. The last thing, as far as the punch stats are concerned, Canelo, he only landed 84 total power punches and that was a career low for him in a 12 round fight. Um, his previous low was against guess who? Floyd Mayweather and the other loss that he had. So what I noticed in this fight is that Bilbo, he came out using the shotgun jab. He had that nice tight defense. And I thought that he won probably maybe, what, four out of the first five rounds maybe, or at least three of the first five. And then in the fifth round, I thought Canelo was going to have a long day. And, and the reason why is that Bilbo was tagging him along the ropes. And Canelo, it was a point where Canelo, he was tagging Canelo and Canelo waved him in. You know, and it was more so out of frustration and wanting to get some get back. But then Bibble, he showed discipline and for not falling for it. And that's the discipline that he ended up showing pretty much every point of the rest of the fight. And Bibble was in there. He's one of those guys. And this is rare nowadays. No emotion, just a boxing robot, always in control, you know. And that's the thing. Like we fight somebody like Canelo, typically Canelo is the one who is controlling the action and Bill will never allow that to happen. He clipped him uh, with two consecutive lefts in the left round. And then I knew Canelo was really frustrated when he picked him up and off the ground in frustration. And so it was just a wonderful boxing performance. Bibble used that jab flawlessly. You know, he maintained a dictated pace throughout through nice combinations, kept a tight guard and defense, landed his one twos. He stayed off the ropes. 
He used um, all of his best attributes, speed, power, movements to get the victory. And to me, like I say, uh, Canelo for the first time in recent years, I thought that he was fighting a guy who was in his prime, who's strong, disciplined, and doesn't fade in the latter part of the fight. And a lot of times when Canelo would face somebody who had similar attributes, it was like they may have been drained a little bit, but, but Bivol was very comfortable at 175. I think Bivol probably can make 168 if he wanted to, um, but he's just a big, solid, strong, you know, 175-pound fighter in comparison to Canelo. I think that moving forward, though, it's going to be a good thing because this, this not Canelo well-deservingly is on a high horse where he can pick and choose and do certain things. Now I think that he has taken his loss. Hopefully... Um, we'll see him face some of the other guys near his weight class, like a Benavidez, like a Charlo, and like an Andre, because of the fact that he's not that way above everybody else as far as accomplishments. He has that blemish now that fight fans will want to see him against guys where he's not, doesn't have the excuse of biting off more than he can chew. Fight the guys that's around your weight class. And then to me, Bivol becomes more attractive to face a Canelo in a rematch, you know, um, he's, he's more attractive when it comes to fighting the winner of better be than Smith, you know what I mean? Like that's more of a bigger fight for him and more a lucrative fight for him. And so I think that this is going to, um, do wonders for his career as well, but excellent performance, flawless performance by Dimitri Bill. That man Canelo ran into a Russian supercomputer, didn't it? Mm -hmm. Man. I don't know if you could have asked for anything better from, from Beeble in that fight. Uh, some of the UVL I had at 117-111. Where I went wrong in my prediction was that I thought that Canelo would have some kind of second gear if he couldn't get to the body like he wanted to. Like, I, I knew that he had stamina issues throughout his career, and I thought that it had gotten better overall, but I was incorrect in that. And this fight showed or confirmed is, is basically that anybody with a motor who can withstand his power is going to get to him in that way. And this was kind of evident because, you know, in fights where, or maybe it was delusion on his part, I don't know, because he did say after the fight that he thought that he won the fight. But, you know, the, all the slipping and stuff is cool, you know, when he's doing it, but it, it's not necessarily giving him any points or any type of like attribute in terms of scoring around, especially when he's throwing power punches and they're not going through. And so all that stuff that he was used to doing, you know, it wasn't really working. And as for Bevo, he just fought like a creative player, man. Like he made it impossible for the judges to give it to Canelo. And even though like all the judges had Canelo up the first four rounds, like after that, there was nothing that you could say to give Canelo the decision. Canelo was trying to land hooks to the head. Bevo had his earmuffs up. He was trying to land body hooks. Bevo had the elbows down. There was nothing that Canelo could really do to get through to him. And, you know, and after Canelo was throwing what would be his best shots against almost any other fighter, you know, in that respective weight class, Bevo would do this thing where, like, after he tried to do it, Bevo would block it. And then he would counter with a straight jab, straight down the pipe, and he would stand Canelo back up. And so it was like back to the jarring board for him. It was really amazing to see, and it was kind of like a boxing masterclass. And Canelo's punches, they really sounded better than they were, but they were just hitting gloves. And, you know, just going back to Canelo's style, and not 
like fighting style, but strictly like how he approaches fights at a big picture and like from round to round. It reminds me a little bit of like Wilder and Tank in the sense that, you know, he's a better boxer than like Wilder maybe, but in previous fights, he has been too content giving up rounds because, you know, he would feel out the person's power and he would feel like he had the power to knock them out. And what happens when you do that is eventually you come up against a better boxer and you're not afforded that luxury. And it was actually the opposite for Bibble. Like he hasn't given up many rounds, but it just hasn't made for exciting fights. And so people saw what Canelo did to other people and assumed that it would work against Bibble. It was not the case, but it was honestly, you know, kind of what you said, well, it was honestly maybe the best case scenario for him moving back up to 175. I think one of those other champions could have and would have stopped him, but I don't want to take anything away from Canelo. He dared to be great. And I still have massive respect for him, you know, as much for as much flack as he gets about his opposition. He did what we wanted to see all these other fighters with this kind of potential do. And I don't personally look at him any differently after this loss. Um, I think for Bevel in the grand scheme of things, he now has an all time great win under his belt, but in terms of where he goes from here, um, I don't think this changes much. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but that's all I got right now. Yeah, I mean, you can't take anything away from Canelo. I mean, he lost, but he lost at Bibble's weight class. It wasn't a catch weight or anything like that. And it's nothing to be ashamed of. You know, when you constantly fight fighting those elite level fighters at higher weight classes, you'll eventually run into some issues, you know. And the weight, yes, they definitely affected Canelo. But again, I think that... He, even though he moved up in weight, he's been facing guys most recently, with the exception of Triple G. He's been fighting guys who've been either, they had one of two issues. Either they were drained a little bit. So he's like at full force. See, he met his match because Bilbo is somebody who, Again, he can fight at 175 because he has he's strong enough and he's big enough and 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 but he can also go down to 168 if he wanted to. And so he's like really comfortable at that weight. It's not gonna be the way that where uh, weight is gonna be a problem. That's not gonna like drain me or anything like that. Where when he was facing Calvin Smith, you see Calvin Smith is a 175 pound fighter now because he was having a very difficult time at 168. And that weighs on you, you know, the more and more you keep going to the wheel and dropping down in weight. That's the reason why I'm concerned about Spence and hopefully you get this Crawford fight really soon because again, it's just gonna deplete, deplete you of your energy. And especially if you fight somebody like a bull, like that's why Miguel Cotto, when he moved up in weight, he was performing really well because he didn't have to drain himself anymore. Even though he really wasn't a, like a 160 pound fighter, he really can have some success there because now I can have a couple extra bites of my food that I'm eating. You know what I mean? I don't have to really concentrate on just making weight and I can uh, train and I hit hard as a mule. So those things matter when he fought or he fought guys who have difficulty after like four or five rounds. BJ Saunders has always showed me that once it gets around five, six, seven, he starts huffing and puffing. And the same thing with with Caleb Plant. Caleb Plant is very good till about round seven. And then you see him trying to box, hold, and stuff like that. And you're doing that with somebody who punches like Canelo. And he's a professional. And he um, hits so hard that he carries his power late. And so those things, 
when he fought Danny Jacobs. Danny Jacobs had the weight clause in there. So he had those advantages. Yesterday, he didn't have that advantage. That advantage. And when he was trying to hit, um, um, Bilbo Bilbo was taking those punches well when he was hit, but he rarely got hit because he has a solid defense, has that amateur pedigree, and he wasn't drained. So that's the things that I saw, and I was thinking about that going into the fight. I just was just basing my prediction on Canelo's confidence. I'm like, dang, it, it looked like how it was when he fought Kovalev. Like, this is just a walk in the park. I got this fight. I'm going to fight Triple G. Who should I fight? Uh, Usyk. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's talking about all this other stuff. I'm like, man, some the face got to be in or something because he's just way too confident. So that's um, all I have. Yeah, all valid points. I do want to say, though, and not this isn't necessarily towards you, but more so towards I've seen, you know, some people kind of like, I wouldn't say switching up on Canelo, but kind of like in terms of his resume, even though, you know, one could argue that Smith was weight drained when he fought him, he was still a champion at that weight class. And, you know, there was no rehydration clause or anything. He just fought him straight up. And, you know, with Billy Joe, he just happened to have a belt. With Caleb Plant, he happened to have a belt. And he was actually up on the cards to me. I thought I had it. It was, what, 11th round knockout. I had Plant winning six of those rounds through the through the 11th. And so, um, you know, I don't want to use me personally. I don't want this to take away from the work that Canelo has done in you know, 2021 or at super middleweight or whatever. And we'll get into like the resume prior to that. Cause I have been a critic of him prior, but I do want to show my respects to what he has done and him daring to be great, daring to be a champion. If you don't mind if I just share out real quick, I, cause I think both can be true because I think those guys had those um, limitations, if you will. But at the same time, those guys were still, difficult fighters to defeat like everybody just can't beat a billy joe saunders everybody just can't beat uh uh Caleb smith or or caleb plant because they would have already been defeated you know what i mean it's just the fact that when you look it's like when roy jones was fighting roy jones if you look at the fighters that he faced that a lot of those guys prior to the antonio tarver fight had certain limitations that if you just have to have the ability to exploit it and Canelo has that ability to exploit it. That's what makes him so elite. That's what makes him pound for pound the number one fighter, which you still could argue because he moved up to try to challenge himself against a 175 pound guy when he came all the way up from 154. So I'm not, for me, I'm not taking anything away from him because you have to be an elite fighter to beat the fighters that he's been defeating. So I, I really don't, if I'm coming across as somebody who's like, um diminishing his accomplishments by no way you know like i say for the past two years the man has been by far the number one pound for pound fighter uh, in the world in my eyes for sure for sure and that, that one at you that was at you know others who i've seen so nobody in particular but the general that general crowd you feel me yeah no i hear what you're saying i just i just if anybody listening and they think that that's what i'm on as far as trying to diminish the man's work i'm not definitely not trying to do that sure sure let's get to these questions though man Okay. Okay. Now let's go ahead and start with the question. Uh, the first question, the first question, I noticed that Canelo in the press conferences after the fight, he said he wants to run it back. Do you think he will fare better in a rematch? I think he'll, he might fare a little better, but I, I could see Bivo being better too, because Bivo is going to be more confident. So 
I mean, it might be a more intriguing fight, but I do think Bivol will still defeat Canelo just based off of what I saw yesterday and based off of style. I can't see too much that Canelo can do differently uh, within the laws of boxing. I I agree. I think both fighters would be better, but I think that in the weight class of light heavyweight, Bivol's best is always going to be Canelo's best. You know, they're just they're just what it is, and. I, if I'm Canelo, I don't really have, outside of pride, maybe, I don't have any incentive to really go back and, and get that smoke again. I'll, you know, like you said, I would, I'd rather go back and see some folks in my own playground, in my own weight class, than to go back and try to fight that supercomputer again. Yeah, um, I, my the answer to that for me is no. Um, do you fellas think that he ever avoided any fighters in his career so far? I'll say this. There were definitely some instances where he timed them the right way you could argue that he timed Cotto right you could um, you could argue that he waited for Triple G at the right time he got Kovalev at the right time and you know you could even argue that he got some gift decisions but um so yes I guess the short answer would be would be yes I don't know at this point he's had a <laughs> you know he's only what 32 he's had a pretty lengthy career it's hard to say i'm not sure because he, if you look at who he's fought i mean you also have to ask the question if you think so he's avoiding somebody how would they fear fair against the people he's fought and i think that's a valid question you know uh, no, that's not the question though but, but do you think that he avoided anybody in his career i mean no you can't fight everybody so it's hard to so no no okay so now i think that personally has he avoided people yeah he has there's certain fighters that he pretty much could have faced probably should have faced but at the same time those fighters have not done enough in order to demand that canelo takes the fight for instance if i'm somebody like a charlo if i'm somebody like an andre i have to knock off some people where it's like a collision course. You have to go through me. So Canelo is saying that I'm trying to win these fights at, you know, 175 pounds because I want to, you know, all the belts there. Then I must, if um, David Benavidez, I, and, and if I want Canelo, if that's my goal, then I have to go after the other guys. So I'm calling you out better beef. I'm calling you out um, Smith. If you win that fight, fight me, you know, and, and, and so on and so forth. And I think Charlo, you know, you can't really claim that he's ducking you if you are fighting mediocre guys, like you continue to do that. So they're putting themselves in a worse situation because then Canelo can fight somebody who he sees that, okay, this guy right here is a champion and he's at a higher weight class. I know I can beat him because I'm gonna take advantage of him like at this particular part of the fight and I can go ahead and knock him off. And then you, with this meager resume, you can't really say that he's ducking you because of the fact that he's fighting somebody that is better than anybody that you're facing, even though you will be more of a challenge to him than the other guys that he's facing, you're not doing enough to make a demand for the fight. So that's the constant thing that I, that I keep seeing. And once Canelo got the Cotto win, once he started having guys on his resume, like a Lara, like a Trout, like a... Um, 
all of these got Jacobs and triple G's and stuff like that. And these other guys still fighting this mediocre, mediocre opposition, then he can kind of ignore you. Like you just look at what they're doing. Like, why would I want to face them? So they just never put themselves in, in a position to truly have a demand for the fight. Now, would Canelo really want to face somebody who was tricky as Andrade? I don't think so. Because I think that he'll have a difficult time with those guys. Not to say that he couldn't beat them, but it would be definitely a difficult fight. And I would prefer to fight somebody in a more fan-friendly type of fight that is um, the reward is much higher. And, um, you know, I would make about the same amount of money anyway. So why not take those fighters instead? So that's the way I look at it. Right. Only other thing that I'll add, I'll slightly modify my answer. I think I wouldn't say that he's avoided fighters. I would just say that he's avoided certain versions of the fighters that he fought. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, let me ask you this question. Does this uh, loss knock him off the top of the pound for pound list? Uh, I would probably still put him near the top, but I'm not sure if he's number one. But I'll have to give it more thought because, because, you know, it's still a lot of fights going on. There's a lot of things that went on the last, what, three, four months in in this year, and then there's more to go. So uh, we'll have to see how, how is, you know, well and done, you know. We we'll see what, where it's at by the end of the year. Do I would not put him number one right now, and you know, like in the grand scheme of things, like I don't think this hurts Canelo's like legacy or anything. But when you dare to be great, you put yourself in a category of other fighters on that list who have dared to be great. When you have someone like a Alexander Usyk who dared to be great against AJ, and then he moved up the heavyweight to take his belts, I can't logically put Canelo over Usyk now. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So he's at least at number two. And then mm-hmm. and that's not even including the other guys that we have at the top. So he's not my number one anymore. I can tell you that. Yeah, he's not my number one. Uh, he's in the top five. Now, here's the situation. Um, like you said, you got Usyk. And I wasn't even thinking like that. The fact that he dared to be great as well. And then you have guys who are fighting in their weight class who's who are putting on dominant performances. You know, you got Spence who just put on a dominant performance. You got Crawford a couple months ago did his thing against Sean Porter. And so those guys are already like nipping at his, his heels, you know what I mean? Tugging at his heels. So, and the biggest thing for me is this, right? He did dare to be great. He did attempt to go to another weight class and collect another belt against arguably the top guy at the light heavyweight division. Nobody told him to do it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you the one decided to do that. So that's the other thing, right? Um, so, no, I, I got him in a top five, though. It's, it's no way in the world because he's too talented um, to not be in a top five. Now, a couple other questions before we go on to Gilberto, you know, my main man, Zerto. Now, we got new details about the PBC offer um, that, that has emerged. Um, what do you think about PBC's offer to Canelo that would have had him facing Errol Spence, the deal would have given Canelo a guaranteed 55 million, but he would have had to come down to 164. Um, did you think that that was something that he should have entertained? I think that Canelo is a smart guy. And overall, part of the reason why he didn't accept that is because they would not have done anything for his legacy in the grand scheme. You know, like there's no incentive for him to go down to take a fight that does nothing for him. You know, like if, Spence had everything to gain and nothing to lose in that fight. And it's almost like I, I put it in the same level as if 
you know, Brooke coming up to fight Triple G. Triple G, we don't look at that Triple G win and be like, oh, yeah, that's the reason why he's a first ballot Hall of You know, like, we don't look at it like that. And that would have been the same thing to me. Yeah, the way I look at it, because um, I think along with the details of that particular deal, he would have to fight Charlo first, uh, Jamal Charlo first, and then uh, it was a choice of either Benavidez or Spence. Um now, the idea of Canelo against Spence, that's a horrible fight for Canelo. That's a great fight for Spence. And I'm not saying that in terms of Spence will win or anything like that. I think it helps Spence a, a lot more than it helps Canelo because you're fighting a guy who's currently fighting at welterweight. You know, uh, yeah, he's a welterweight champion. Uh, it, it may have more weight if Spence, you know, had all four belts. Um, but then, then, Canelo's fighting a guy who, you know, has a, you know, a, a consistent jab, a stronger jab, and has a body attack. Pretty much, you know, Spence in some ways is similar to uh, a, a more defensively responsible, but not as much punching power version of Triple G. And we, and we saw some of that. But at the same time, a fight like that, I think the, the size of Canelo would come into play a little bit more but it wouldn't come without trouble. So I do think that would be a bad fight for Canelo, even if he was to conquer Spence and stop him because Spence would probably look good within the first six, seven rounds. I mean, real good because of that jab is going to be constantly there. Now, I think um, at the time that the offer was presented, then I don't think that it would benefit Canelo one iota um, because Again, he's somebody who's looking at the time, was looking over the game, like I'm the man, you know, and he said it perfectly. He's like, well, why would I do that? <laughs> like at this stage of my career, why would I have to drop down and wait? Now, if it was at a different stage and he was trying to make a name for himself and he wasn't the Canelo that we know that's walking around in these slick, you know, pajama suits and stuff like that, then, yeah, you might want to entertain that idea so I can become like a household name or the number one pound for pound fighter. So I just need names on my resume. He doesn't need that at this stage of his career. Now, if they said 168, Spence wanted to do it there, then maybe. But he still doesn't have to do it. He has so many different options that he has that that would be probably the least um, one that looks good in the eyes of, you know, the masses. Like people will look at that like, why are you doing that? I mean, you still haven't fought Benavidez. You still haven't fought Charlo. You still haven't fought you. So you're going to choose, you know, Spence, although Spence is the most popular out of the guys that I just mentioned. Now, I think that this would be a horrible fight for Spence as well because he gets hit a little bit too much. And I think that, and I love Spence, but I just think that Canelo is just too powerful for him. And it's certain guys that, you know, he's, he's, you know, he did a really good job against like guards, the Garcias and people like that. But you're talking about a whole different animal. Canelo's going to hit you. Now you're going to get hit by Canelo. And he has like some bone breaking power. Spence is very good at 154. And I think that he would be good at 154 and possibly 160. The way he fights, his physical attributes, the amount of punching power that he has. But you talking about somebody like Canelo. Canelo, you saw he got a rock solid chin too, because Bill clipped me a couple, clipped him a couple of times with some left hooks and he didn't go anywhere. So I mean just his punch resistance is is very high. And I don't think that he would be in trouble against um Arrow. I think I think it'd be the opposite. I think the fight would have Spence 
very end up similar to what he experienced after that car crash. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. you know, I, I just don't want to see him, you know, physically damaged against somebody who's a brutal of a puncher as Canelo. Um, yeah. So my last question is this, you know, we've been talking about Canelo, although he was um, wasn't victorious yesterday. It's kind of like when you have somebody who's so marquee like Canelo that you start looking at things. Well, what didn't he do? It's kind of like the Lakers, the Yankees or the Cowboys. It's like you, you never really concentrate on the other team. It's like, why didn't they win? You know, as opposed to what the other team or person did because you concentrate on the guy or the person or the team that's most popular. So I don't want to do that in this situation. I want to give credit to Bivol. And I also want to give you a question regarding um, Dimitri. And that is, you know, does this win, does this propel him into the pound for pound rankings? And then also, does this definitively make him the number one guy at 175? Uh, well, first off, before I even get to that, and it's kind of off topic, shout out to the dude that, that just that basically said that Canelo is ducking Bud Crawford. I just want to laugh at this guy, but you know, just want to put that out there with some of the stuff that, you know, gets put out there. But uh, yeah, for Bivol, um, I think he is the top guy at 175. He just conquered Canelo. And, and Canelo, I mean, he's probably has to, even though Canelo is not, he did get a belt at 175, but he, he before yesterday, he was considered a, a 168 to 175 pounder. And, and people were talking about, it were talks about him even going up to fight Usyk at 201 pounds. So I don't want to diminish the Bivol's win by saying, oh, Canelo's too small to this, whatever. So I think Bivol has the best win out of all the 175 pound champions. And I think you know, it's interesting when we relook what a fight between him and Bitterbee would look like right now, because before yesterday, before yesterday, before last night, I had Bitterbee being better than Bivol and possibly conquering Bivol. Now I would have to really look at that and rethink it, you know, after what I saw yesterday, because I didn't think that Bivol was that disciplined, but he's already, he's proved that he is. Now where it puts Bivol in and pound pound list, I mean, I would have to really look at the pound pound list and, and kind of restructure it because somebody would have to come off. And, it, you know, a few people may come off, but at the same time, you have someone like, if Bivol come in, then you might have to put someone like Shakur Stevenson in there, you know, based off his performance. So the list could be stacked, but I think Bivol does deserve some mention, you know, and some consideration off of what he did last night. He just pretty much, comfortably beat the number one pound for pound boxer. Can I ask you a question? Is, is Lomachenko in your top 10 pound for pound? I don't know. He probably was in my last one. I don't know if he, he is now. I'm not sure. I'll have to relook the list. I'm, I don't have it in front of me. Oh, you don't remember your, your top 10 list from last time? No. I, 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 oh, okay. I'm a writer. I'm not a freestyle. Okay. So for me, I do have some of my lists in front of me. I'm going to take it back to my space real quick, and I'm going to give you all my top eight that I had. Thanks for the accuracy, sir. Appreciate <laughs> it. I had, this, in this order, I had Canelo, Usyk, Fury, Bud, Inouye, Taylor, Spence, and Loma. Mm -hmm. I, I would take Taylor out. Mm -hmm. I would take Fury out because I'm assuming that he's retired as a boxer. And mm -hmm. so I will put Bevo. I don't know where I will put him, but I will put him at that top five. No, I'm listening. I'm, I'm oh. listening. 
Mm-hmm. There's no flaw that I saw from him last night that would have me put him any lower than that. Now, in terms of 175, I think he simply has the best resume there. You know what I mean? Like, if you look at who he's beat, you know, he's beat Joe Smith Jr. already. Say what you want about Pascal, but he's beat Pascal, Sullivan Barrera. Chalimba was a tough out at the time that he fought him. I mean, he beat Chalimba, Isaac Chalimba. And so, in, in addition to that, you know, it'll be interesting to see how better BF looks against uh, Joe Smith Jr., but I would put him at the top of 175 for sure. Mm, okay, okay. I'll look at it a little bit differently. I think that he'll, he definitely should be in a top 10 pound for pound, that I agree. Um, I don't know about top five. And this is the reason why. Now, again, in predicting this fight, I'm, I was just looking at Canelo's confidence. I was, and I was also going back to the fight that he had against the Crusher. And so the Crusher looked like he took a bag. I'm trying to tell you, every time I look at that fight, I'm like, well, this dude's not jabbing. He's like not one to shoot like a hard right hand or anything. This is not the Crusher that I'm seeing here. And so it just looked like he folded at the end. He, he, he packed his tent and he was okay with taking his five million. That's what it looked like to me. So I'm like, if Canelo is so confident going into this fight, it's got to be something going on with this. That's just what I'm thinking. You know what I mean? And, and, and part of my conspiracy thought process there, but that's just what I saw. Now, as far as 175, I'm not so sure because he just beat a little dude. You know what I'm saying? That bit off more than he can chew. Great fighter, you know, and did it flawlessly. I just don't know if that puts him at the top of the 175-pound um, weight class, and here's why. You're absolutely correct. He has the best resume at 175 as far as, like, the different fighters that he's beaten, but I think that Better Beef has the best fighter. Um, he beat the best fighter out of all of those guys, and that was Alexander Gazdick. Gazdick was a bad boy, man. Like, in that fight, it was a really good fight, but Better Beef showed his mettle um, in being able to defeat, you know, Gazdick. And then also, you know, like I say, just the manner and destruction in which he did it. And Gazdick, like I say, he's no longer fighting anymore um, after that. But that was an excellent win. He showed me a lot. With Better Beef, the only thing to me is his age because it seemed like he's one of those guys. I don't know, man. I could have sworn when we first started this, he was about maybe 32 or 33. It seems like every time I look at box rec, his age just keep going. Up. <laughs> I don't know what it is. So he's 37 now. Um, and sometimes he he shows it. He looked really good last fight. Um, but yeah, I think it's neck and neck at, at 175. I, I would have that a 50-50 fight between those guys. And it's 50-50 in terms of who's the best light heavyweight. Um, anything else you guys have before we start talking about my main man? Zerno! <laughs> <laughs> I, I made time to be on this podcast this episode just to hear that <laughs> it's my man right there no that's all i had though okay so coming up may 14th that's the uh this coming weekend we got my main man gilberto zerto ramirez uh, he's gonna be taking on dominic uh Bosell. um what are your thoughts on this fight danny how you see it going playing out Sure. So Zerto's coming in this fight, 43 and 0 with 29 knockouts, 30 years old, still a young guy, six, two and a half. He last beat Uniski Gonzalez with a 10th round knockout. 
Basel is 32 and 2 with 12 knockouts, 32 years old, 6-1. He last beat Robin Krasnicki by a split decision. Now, Zerto is a younger fighter with more pro experience. Although he just moved up to light heavy in 2019, he already has knockouts over names such as Sullivan Barrera and, like I just said, Gonzalez. Despite what you want to say about them at their respective point in their careers, these wins are wins. Now, Basel, he's coming off of a split decision victory against Krasnicki, which was a rematch from when he got knocked out in the third round by him in 2020. But for what is worth, he's ranked number one in the WBA. Zerto's ranked number two. And the winner is expected to be in line for a title shot, potentially against WBA champ Bevel. Now, I watched Basel's last fight when he fought Kresnicki, and I'm not one to just, like, sleep on guys who don't have a quality of opposition or a lot of quality opposition to their name. But I just didn't see anything that made me say, oh, yeah, this guy is world-class for sure, or this, or this guy might be the goods. I thought he was a good fighter. I thought that he is who he is, which is the number one ranked light heavyweight fighter in Germany. But I think Zerto is too hungry to prove himself in this division and in general. And I think that he just got too much range and too much firepower. So I could see Zerto winning probably, honestly, mid-round knockout around like the seventh round or so. Roberto Zerto, Ramirez versus Dominic Basso. So look at this fight. We got Zerto, you know, the boxer puncher. Um, very handy, very heavy-handed. It's interesting because he's kind of a, he has a Mexican style which he can pressure you, but also he likes to, you know, to move around the ring a little bit and you and use some movements uh, as defense. Uh, he loves to catch fighters in between their combinations, which I think is very very dangerous for certain types of fighters. Um, but when when I look at uh, Basso, uh, I see somebody even when, when you look at his fights with Krasnicki. Uh, Krasnicki is pretty much outboxing him at, at, at certain times, and, and Basso is pretty much standing in front of him, you know, trying to shoot a jab at him. It, it, it's like I don't see anything from from like you, Danny. I don't see anything from uh, Basso that I think is going to trouble Zerto. He doesn't have the activity. He doesn't have anything that's going to keep Zerto off of him. And we're talking when I look at Ramirez. I mean. Even though he has these victories, he hasn't done a lot since his victories over, I'll say, Arthur Abraham and Sullivan Barrera. And then you look at how long he's been pro. He turned pro at 2009. So I'm not sure why he'd be fighting someone like, uh, like Basso. I guess that's a WBA thing. You know how we feel about the WBA. Um, but like you, Danny, I, I see this fight going about six, seven rounds and, and, and Basso getting slept. Um, it might happen just like it happened against Krasnicki that first fight <laughs> where he just got caught slipping. You know what? It's interesting. You know, I'm going to win and say he stops him earlier. Zerto stopped Basso in about, about the fourth round. That's my prediction. Bold prediction. Um, Bold. You said that he's the number one fighter in Germany at 175? I believe that's what I saw. Oh, my. God, According to the I guess Germans don't box anymore or something. Because that dude is, is let me get to what it is I'm saying. So as you stated, uh, he, Inzerto, moved up to his new weight class of 175. This is for a fight. 
he first defeated uh, Alfonso Lopez in a pretty, pretty good fight. Um, it went 10 rounds, Sullivan Barreri knocked him out in the fourth. And as you stated, he's coming off the 10th round knockout victory over Yaniski Gonzalez. That was a slept on fight. Those dudes were going at it. And that was a very good win. Yaniski Gonzalez, he only has one loss. I think that was Vazdek who ended up um, destroying him. But outside of that, he has about three or four losses on his record where it could have went, went either way. Um, so again, that was a really good, he's always good in the first half of the fight, very strong, powerful, 175 pound fighter and Gonzalez, you know, he got him out of there. And like I said, Gonzalez was giving Serta all he can handle in that first, those first few rounds of their match. And, um, you know, Gonzalez, he showed a lot of bravery, a lot of courage, um, but it was a sensational performance by Gilberto. Gilberto's a nice kid, highly skilled, man. Um, he can lead, he can counter, he has nice speed, great combination punching. He's, he's good at mid-range, you know, he's a good mid-range fighter. Throws lots of straight punches to get to the target first, has nice feints, and doesn't waste any punches either. You know, very smooth, you know, at times. And he uses pivots and rolls with his uh, opponent's punches. Like I say, very high quality professional fighter. And at his age right now, he's in line to face you know, potentially a Canelo, you know, I think he's only 30 years of age. And then also um, the fact that he's around the same age as, as Bivol or Bivol. And so he can also take advantage of guys. Let's say, for instance, Bivol and Better B fight, Better B wins. Then he can take advantage of Better B being like in the latter stages of his career. If he can potentially get a matchup against him, it'll be a prime time for him to face somebody like that. But he has a lot of options, you know. Um, now he's with, with, with his own. Now, as far as um, Bozel, Basel, what I saw from him, he's very slow, very, just stationary, you know. Um, I think he had better movement before. He had a brutal loss against uh, Cairo Marat. Cairo Marat fought um, Bernard Hopkins back in 2013 and, and gave a really good account of himself against Hopkins. But Hopkins eventually schooled him. Um, and, and before he defeated him, but he had a fight against him, Basel did, and he lost by 11th round TKO. And I think the ref came in just a little too late. He looked a little bit more fluid, a little bit more uh, feisty, you know, in that fight, but he got a lot of fight beat out of him too. And since then, like I said, I watched like two rounds. Like when I first, I saw the Marat fight second. So when I'm trying to like study and see, you know, what, what's going to happen in this fight, I watched two rounds of him versus um, Robin Kresnicki. Man, I was bored out of my mind. And that two rounds, I got antsy. I started texting this female. I was watching the news. I warmed <laughs> up some soup. You know what I mean? I put a load of laundry in the washer. And then I came back to the computer. This dude was still there posing, like not doing much anything. So I said, man, I'm not watching the rest of this stuff. So I fast forwarded it. And then I saw Krasnicki had his hands in the air. And so I was like, what, what happened? You know what I'm saying? Like out of the blue. So then I rewinded a little bit more. And then I saw Krasnicki land this telegraph right hand, right on Basel Kisser. And then dude went tumbling to the canvas and he had that REM, that rapid eye movement. He was just asleep. You know what I mean? He gave him some good rest. So I, I have to think that going against somebody as highly skilled as Zerto, you know, that this is going to end early, I'll say three rounds. I don't see this dude, because once he gets tagged on the chin, it could be one, you know what I mean? I don't know, it just depends on how, when Zerto is gonna wanna um, apply, you know, some serious pressure or 
put together some punches because once he gets the rat tat tat in that chin, it's going to be all over because he has a soft spot there now since he's taking those uh, knockout losses. And so I don't see this lasting more than three rounds. So I got Zerto third round, probably KO. Um, but it's just, this is a head scratcher. Now I know that Uniski Gonzalez fight was a tough fight and maybe they just want to give him a little soft touch, you know what I mean? Before they move on to bigger and better things. But it's just an eye opener in terms of who he's facing as far as talent level, because I didn't see much from Basel in the last uh, two or three fights that I've seen him fight. But again, my prediction, I got Zerto, third round knockout. Anything else you guys have? What's there? No, I'll just say, I think the, the matchmaking, I put that more on the WBA than him. I think he's just kind of playing his part, you know, that's all though. He's just playing his role, huh? He, he Van Rains, you know? <laughs> yeah, gotta love the WBA. Yeah, yeah, I don't know anything about all that. All of them, like, kind of shady, you know. Um, but, yeah, we're we going to wrap things up. Last thing I'm going to say, I know we just got a few minutes left, is that I'm trying to work with some of the guys, the local um, gyms. That's why I text you guys early, because I'm trying to get some of those guys connected with some of the youth in Alexandria Public Schools um, to work with some of the African-American boys um, who are interested in boxing. I'd rather see them do it productively as opposed to trying to set up matches around the campus you know what i'm saying so i'm um, trying to run that um get that get that aligned and hopefully we might be able to get some of those guys on, on our podcast too you know if that's something that's able to be done also last thing i'm gonna say man i, I work on my equity liaison for my campus and i work directly with this one young lady who's at our high school very bright young man. i'm not gonna say her name but she's only in 10th grade but she's the head of the black student union there but she does a wonderful job man of articulating the um, needs and wants of the african-american students you know on her campus i can see her in the future being like a congressman or whatever it is she want to be she's going to be that very high lexile score um just tremendous student man and she's a very um huge advocate for african-american students you know what i mean and so shout out to her and like i said i'll, I'll say more in terms of her name, you know, in the future. I just don't want to say it now since she's still a, um, not 18. Uh, anything else we got as we wrap things up? Oh, Two quick things. Um, one, I just want to say congrats to Kell Brook on his successful boxing career. He announced his retirement. And um, I didn't mention my Monarch socials. Um, I'm at the Monarch brand on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or you can go to themonarchbrand.com. That's all I got. Let's go ahead and wrap things up there, man. That's a good way to end it. Appreciate you fellas. Y'all have a great week. We out. Peace.